I would like for you to open your Bible this morning to Acts chapter 3. Then go briefly to Ezekiel 36, and I would appreciate if you'd find that also. So we go from Acts 3, then over to Ezekiel 36. We were there last week, and then we'll come back. Now, Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of of the Lord. Now, I want to talk this morning on this subject, conversion and the times of refreshing. Conversion and the times of refreshing. Last week, our subject was the few that are saved. The question was asked Jesus, are there few that be saved? His answer was, with men it's impossible, but to God all things are possible. One time the disciples said, who then can be saved? It's as though the word of God is so narrow that unless you really walk his way, you really can't do it, which is true, which is the way it should be. That in time, modern Christianity, as we see it today, as it's unfolding across the earth, the pattern and the picture of the church today is that you're born again, I guess, if you join church, if you go to church, if you're happy about what the church is doing, you're born again. And yet it's so much more than that. The new birth is what happens to everybody who is saved. They are born again, not a natural birth. Nicodemus said, how can that be? Jesus said, I'm not talking about a natural birth. It's a spiritual birth. It's not something that happens with your flesh. It's something that happens on the inside. It's like being born all over again, only this time it's in a spiritual way, and it's such a new experience that old things are passed away and everything just becomes new. Oh, you're still aware of the old and everything around you, but there's a new thing going on inside of you. It's different than anything you've ever known or thought of because it's something that only God can do. You're alive unto a kingdom you've never known. You're aware of God that the Bible speaks of, but never has he been like this. You have been turned around. Now, he says it begins because God has a visitation. He visits you, and then God begins to inform you of your sins. Your convictions come into play. Your conscience bothers you. You can't argue with God. You know you're wrong. Thirdly, he gives godly sorrow. Only God can do this. A sorrow that comes from heaven in which you willingly admit, I am altogether wrong. I am altogether a criminal before God. A wretch like me, the song said. And then God grants you as a gift what we call repentance. He gives that. You can't just repent. You can be sorry about what you did and have remorse about the way you acted last night or last week. You can feel bad about all the words you used just this week and the stories you told, the places you went, or the attitude that you had. You can feel bad about it, but you'll keep doing it until you repent. When you repent, you'll turn away from it because that's what the word means. And what repentance leads to is conversion. You can ask a lot of people, are you born again? They'll all say yes. You can say Have you been converted? They'll think, uh, exactly what are you talking about? I'm talking about being born again. 
Have you been converted? Has your life taken a 180? Have you turned away from the old and turned to God with the intention of never turning back to the old? This is what being converted is. In fact, our text says repent and be converted because those are two conditions that precedes the times of refreshing. I don't know how many Christians, charismatic or otherwise, have ever experienced true refreshing from God or a life that is refreshing. I don't know how many ever have an invigorated life. You could even use the word revive, a revived life, a life made new again. I don't know how many have ever done that because the evidence of that life is that you truly turn away from it. You don't go back the way you were. You still have bad days. You still have moments that are difficult. That is, days in which you're tested. There are still those big-time decisions. That doesn't leave. But now everything is different in light of what's happened because now you can cope with it because you have something resident in you you never had before. And there's a knowing that you have that you can hold on. And not just hold on and struggle through all this, but I mean live joyfully. You can do this. Now, not everybody is doing it because the church is full of people that have never been converted. They've learned the ways. They have intellectual Christianity. With their mind, they've grasped the routine, how we do things. They know how to raise their hands. They know how to give testimonies. They know the language of Christianity, and they've learned to do all of that. But their life betrays them. This uneasy feeling through the week that, boy, you know, something is out of whack. I can do all the religious stuff, but there's no pop to it. There's no true joy in all of this because you've never been converted. Conversion is a spiritual experience. You don't treat it lightly. It's a life-changing experience. Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, you mean you're a teacher of the Jews? And you don't know what the new birth or a rebirth is? Go to Ezekiel 36. You see, in verse 17, every man is iniquitous. That is, he's a self-serving creature. He does and desires to do his own thing. As he said in that verse, they defiled it by their own ways and by their doings. That's the way man naturally is. In this way, by doing his own thing, he becomes a criminal before God. He is the enemy of God because he is carnal or self-serving. Nice people. I'm not talking about ugly, bad people that kill people and hurt people and lie, cheat, and steal. I'm talking about people that just would rather do it their way. Just, I'd rather not go through the religion. I just have a way of doing it. You know, it's acceptable. I'm all right. But God says they do their own thing and so on and so forth. And, of course, when you call yourself a Christian and you don't live the Christian life, people know you don't. We've all heard the story, yeah, they go to church, you know, the sneaking deacon and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, those Christians, they don't pay their bills and they don't treat their wives well and look at blah, 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 blah. Well, that's verse 20. He said, they profane his name. Everywhere they go, he said, they profane his name. But now God, the Bible says, is rich in mercy, willing to forgive. He's long-suffering. He has determined from the beginning of time that he's going to save people. He's going to save unworthy people, people that have defiled themselves, but he's going to save them. 
And this is what he will do. First of all, in verse 24, he will make the choice to save. He says, I will take you from among the heathen. Now, here he's talking about Israel, where they are in captivity, but it also has an application to us as Gentiles in Kentucky or wherever you folks are from. I will take you from the masses of the heathens. He did me. I pray he has you. And he says, I will do these things to you. First of all, in verse 25, I will cleanse you. Here he says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. It's a picture of being cleansed from your sins which separate you from God. Or as Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness which we have done has he saved us, but by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, the work the Spirit does. This is how he saves us. So he's going to cleanse us. And then after we are cleansed, and he renews us with his spirit in verse 26. He says that he will put his spirit within us and we will become spiritual people. We will be attached to him spiritually. This is what the new birth is. And then in verse 27, he will motivate us because he said, I will cause, there's a word cause still in there this week. It was there last week. I will cause you to attend church. What did he say he would cause? He would cause you to walk in his statutes. Now, is God able to do that? Is it right for God to so overwhelm or come upon a man and so inspire a human being that a human being doesn't want to do anything else? Can God do that? Well, notice it doesn't happen to a lot of people. This is not the testimony of a lot of church members. But he does it to somebody because he said he would. He said, I will cleanse you. I will renew you. I will motivate you. I will point you in a direction. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and to do them. Because he said in verse 23, what's the ultimate goal here in verse 23? I will be sanctified in them. These people that have been renewed and have experienced this visitation of God in changing their life. He said they will be such people that they will be sanctified, set apart. The word sanctified comes from the root word for holiness. You could use them together. To be set apart unto God for the use of God. To set God apart in your life to be worshiped and adored and obeyed. It's sanctified. And this is the kind of people that God wants, people who live as though only God is worthy to be served. And this is what happens if we're born again. Now, if you go back to our text in Acts chapter 3 again, and remember as you're going back there, this business of being born again, he said in Psalm 40, verse 3, he said, he brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet up on a rock, and he established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Now, that's refreshing. That's a refreshing walk. Psalms 40 and verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth. 
He has established my goings. He put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto God. Many shall see it and shall fear and shall turn or trust in the Lord. We're that kind of a testimony in the world. We are to be ready always to give an answer to any man, every man that asks us of the reason of the hope that is within us, because every day we have hope. Jesus is our hope. We're aware of that. It's not a sermon we heard once. It's a living reality. And we live like that's true because it is true. So this is what the new birth is about. In Acts chapter 3 again, verse 19, he said, Repent, verse 19, ye therefore. Truly turn away from your sins and be converted. Repent and be converted. So that, in order that, the times of refreshing shall come from where? What's the source of the refreshing? The presence of the Lord. I think in our minds we usually equate the presence of God with a place. Maybe in the Old Testament, the presence of God was in the tabernacle in the holiest of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that's where God would visit people. Only the high priest on the Day of Atonement could be in there when the cloud of Shekinah glory came down and there would be this visitation. People think of the presence of God maybe being in a building or at some shrine. Maybe folks believe there's a place you go in maybe Medjugorje over in Europe somewhere you can find a shrine, and that's where God will meet you. Or maybe people think if you go to Israel, you'll meet him over there. But, you know, he's in old concrete buildings or in basements and bedrooms and living rooms in America, wherever you are, where two or more are together, he'll be there too. That's his presence. Now, he says that the times of refreshing comes from his presence. Now, let's take, first of all, his presence. In Exodus 33, if you don't mind, would you look back in Exodus chapter 33, God was speaking to Moses about his presence. God had told Moses, I talk to you as I talk to a friend. We talk face to face. Remember he said that to Moses in verse 11? God spoke with Moses as you and I would talk to each other. Wow. And he said, now, you're going to lead my people, and my presence is going to go with you because you found grace in my sight. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. Isn't that good? He said that in verse 15. Verse 16, For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? A valid question for us in this building this morning. How shall it be known that we in this room have found grace in thy sight? He said, is it not in that thou goest with us? Is it not that God is with us? And if he is with us, what does it go on to say? So shall we what? Be separated. Because if you're not careful, that presence can be affected by who you're with. There's something about spending time with God and not wanting to spend time with people who are not of God. Oh, you're in malls or buildings and things, you know you're around everybody. But I'm talking about really getting into fellowship with people that don't believe the way you do or who don't believe at all. 
It just really affects. You have to compromise things in order to keep the conversation going. But he said, because of your presence, we shall be separated, he goes on to say, from all the people in the world. And look at Israel today. Is there a nation in the world that doesn't dislike Israel? Bring back Lyndon Johnson. He was a good friend of Israel. But anyway, he said, so shall we be separated from all the people in the world. We're told about separation. Come out from among them and be separated. And God says, and I will be your father. You got to get away from everything that affects this relationship with you. You got to deny yourself things that interfere with communion with the Lord. There's nothing greater, apparently, than that presence, being aware that he is with you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But he said, we shall be separated from all the people in the world on the face of the earth. Do not people consider us strange? Should they not consider us different? I mean, the things the world is seeking after are not the things that we're seeking after. The world's fears are not our fears. The things they talk about, they dread, we don't talk about, we have a solution. We're not even fit for fellowship in the world. We're no fun to be around. They talk about dying and sickness, and we talk about living and being well. And all they can do is rant and rave with all the questions they want to ask us. They just don't want us to be right. And yet the more we fellowship with the Lord, the more secure and settled and steadfast and certain you become about this is truly our life. This will work because of his presence. He is with us. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you is your hope. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Life is full of new things. Romans 6 talks about walking in newness of life. Walk in this way. Not everybody does, but you can if you want to. He wants you to. Would you turn to Matthew 11? Matthew 11 and verse 29. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Do we need to do that? Well, it's one thing to acknowledge his presence. It is something else to know who he is. Are you with me? It is one thing for God to be with us. It is something else to learn what that means. See, in 2 Peter, he said, all things that pertain to life and godliness are given to us through the knowledge of him that has called us to live a virtuous life. And all the promises, all the great and precious and wonderful promises that enable us to escape the world have been given to us through the knowledge of him. We must learn of who he is. We must let our minds be renewed by replacing doubt and unbelief with Christ. Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This whole book is about Jesus. The whole book is about the Lord. And he goes on to say in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart. And what will you find? 
Now, let me add this. Then when you find his presence, when you begin to realize and learn and grow spiritually, you begin to find a thing called rest. Rest, a release from struggles and all of the things that just wear people out. Everybody wants this. Nobody can find it. Pills can't do it. Operations can't do it. Jumping off of buildings can't do it. Shooting yourself can't do it. Finding rest. He said, you learn who I am. You study. You read about me. You begin to employ the things that you read into your life and begin to live this way and believe it because the Bible says it, not because you feel anything, but just do it because it's there. And begin to grow in the Lord. He said, and you will find rest in your souls. You will find that he will deliver you from all your fears, from the bleeding and the sickness and the lumps and the swelling and the latest global disease or the latest kind of this or that. He will deliver you from all your fears. He'll do that. Because the more you relate to him and less of this world, the more you grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord, the more you begin to find rest unto your souls, because he said that's true. Now, back to this thing about the times of refreshing. The times of refreshing come from his presence. Now, if he is with you, then refreshing should come with him, and you should experience what he brings. Amen? Now, turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. You see, from his presence... He sends his promise that brings his refreshing. Let me say that again. From his presence, he brings his promise that brings his refreshing. Now, what do we mean by this promise? Well, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 and 39... This should be familiar to us. It used to be at one time. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive what? You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, it didn't all happen at once, but he said two conditions precede receiving the Holy Ghost as a gift. One, you must repent. And two, you must be baptized. I have to admit, as a huge fault in my life, we're not big on what the New Testament did. When people got saved in the New Testament, they were baptized right away. They found water somewhere. And we put these things off way, way too much. Somebody was telling me just recently how that I baptized my wife, my wife baptized me. Because people think, well, can you do that? It doesn't say who has to do it. It just says be baptized. I guess your child could baptize you if they were saved. It doesn't even say they have to be saved, but I would want them to be. It says, repent and be baptized. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then he says in the next verse, verse 39, for the promise. For the promise is unto you and your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So if I ask you the question, if we had a little test, what is the promise of the Lord. 
What has he promised in these two verses? I'm stumping you. At the end of verse 38, he said, repent and be baptized. Everyone in the name of Jesus Christ. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you. What is the promise? The gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what Jesus has promised. That's what he said here. Look in chapter one and verse four. They being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. That's where I'm going. But wait for the promise. But wait for the promise. You have to put up with that for a couple months now. But they will have to wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. He said, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with what? The Holy Ghost. So the baptism with or of the Holy Ghost is the promise that the Father has made to those that are saved. Repent and be baptized. Remember Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So the promise that is made to save people is the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's a promise. It is available. There is a reason that you need that. That's the one single thing that God told us that when he comes, he will glorify Jesus or make you more aware of his presence than anything else that can happen to you. It's that work of the Holy Spirit. He takes the things of Jesus and reveals them unto you. You become word of God minded. You become sensitive to spiritual things. You become alert spiritually. You become discerning. You exercise your senses. Everything changes because of this Holy Spirit indwelling. But it's a promise. It is a promise. And he said in verse 33 of Acts chapter 2, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this. Now, let me ask you all a question. If you look in chapter 2 and verse 4, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all assembled in one place in one accord, and there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. And little fiery tongues rested upon each of them in verse 4, and it said, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So being baptized with the Holy Ghost and being filled with the Holy Ghost, we're talking about the same thing here. And they were all baptized or all filled with the Holy Ghost. And what did they do? They spoke in tongues. Now, in reference to that experience on verse 4, go again to verse 33. Therefore, being exalted by the right hand of God and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. So where did this idea of tongue speaking come from? Came from the Lord, didn't it? It just wasn't some ecstatic, unlearned Pentecostal. It came from God. Before he left this world, he said, when the comforter has come, he will guide, he will teach, he will lead, he will show you things to come. He will get you ready for the last days. The Holy Ghost will. Now, in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, he said, But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high, which saith he. So this endued with power was this baptism in the Holy Spirit, this filling of the Holy Spirit. It's receiving the promise of the Father. 
And it comes with power. And the power essentially is that ability to overcome resistance. It's what dunamis means, dunamis or dunamis. It's the ability to overcome resistance. You take a stick of dynamite and you drill a hole because you can't get through this wall. There's a wall of rock there. And it's messing up everything. Put the power to it. Drill a hole. Stick it in there. Light the wick with the old Zippo. Well, why isn't it blowing up? Be patient, brother, until the coming of the power. Well, how much longer do we have to wait? Just be patient. Well, we prayed the other day. We didn't got anything. Just be patient. Boom. There goes another rock. There goes another devil. There goes another problem. How'd you know all of this? It wasn't because I'm smart. Because God just helped me, enabled me, caused me to believe what he said. I believed it. He did all of this. He made it work, and I am so happy. I'm so glad that Jesus set me free. You see... The times of refreshing that come from the Lord point us to the Holy Spirit who will bring it. Let me show you another one. Turn to Isaiah chapter 28. This is a forecast about that. At least we charismatics say it is. Verse 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge? Who's going to learn anything in this hour? Will it be babies just taken from the breast? No. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Maybe that's a reference to how we learn. We have to learn piece by piece. I don't know. But anyway, verse 11, concerning this, our need to learn and to grow and be taught. Notice verse 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue, will he speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest there's that word again, isn't it? Remember that word a while ago, Mark eleven twenty nine. 29? You shall find rest. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary. Well, wait a minute, didn't he say all you that are weary? Okay, so we're on the right track at least if we can put this together, aren't we? Unless I'm taking it out of context. You judge. But he said, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. But as they did then, they still do today, they would not hear it. Now, is it possible that this could refer to something the Holy Spirit brings? Now, notice he said, with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Well, educated people say, why would he talk like that? Why would God use stammering lips in another tongue? God has throughout the centuries bypassed man's intellect so that man intellectually or mentally cannot grasp the things of God. A natural man cannot assess the things of God because they're spiritual. But so God does things in a way that uppity-do and overly smart people can't accept this. We can't have this in our church. What would people think of us? Because the church is not about Jesus. It's about us and what we're doing. So they don't want that kind of stammering lips. 
and another tongue. But is this what we're talking about? Look in 1 Corinthians 14. Praise be unto God. We're not so wrong after all, folks. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and look at verse 21 and 22. You could start with verse 20, talking about don't be children. Remember, he started with that in Isaiah 28, you know, children, who shall he teach? And all he said, don't be children in understanding. Verse 21, referencing Isaiah 28, we just read it. He said, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. And they still won't. Wherefore, verse 22, wherefore those awful tongues, ishaklamia, they say. That's the way some of them say it. Tongues. Going back to that Old Testament promise, talking about the day of Pentecost and the church age, they, he said, will speak with stammering lips. He said, wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those of us who believe. We expect that. But for those who don't believe. And he goes on to say, you know, but when it comes to in the church, I'd rather speak five words I can understand than a thousand words in tongues that you can't understand. It's not wrong to speak in tongues. They said, but in the church, it's better to prophesy unless you interpret what you said in tongues, and then they're the same as prophecy. Tongues. Do you realize this, that this is the way God said he would speak? Didn't he do this in Acts 2-4 on the day of Pentecost? They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And that was referred to as the refreshing from the presence of the Lord. This was the promise that God said. It came from Jesus. He had shed forth this. And whenever this began to happen, it was fulfillment of prophecy. It's still being fulfilled. In Joel 2, he said, In the last days I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. That is, everywhere there are believers that God has assigned, he will pour his Spirit out upon them. They will be hated, rejected, mocked, scoffed at, laughed at. Oh, it don't make any sense. Talked at like that. But they won't be swerved or swayed by it. We won't give up and lose heart because the world mocks us. Because we know knowledge. We have been taught and we have seen in the scriptures that this is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus is doing. To receive the promise of the Father is to receive the Holy Spirit who brings the times of refreshing. And this is what he's talking about. Well, how can you know who this is for? Who is this promise for? Is the promise for everybody of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's go back to Acts 2 again. And verse 39 give you a little quiz. Is the promise the Holy Spirit? Does not the promise of the Holy Spirit bring with it times of refreshing, invigorating, reviving? The word refreshing actually referred to like a cool breeze, a breath of fresh air. You've been in a stuffy room all day long and you walk out on a nice Oh, a 20-degree day, but you know, I know, but when you walk outside and just, oh, it feels good. That's not a real good picture, but that's kind of like what it's like when you get to feel the Holy Spirit. Oh, yes. 
something refreshing happens. The presence of the Lord comes and, and you find your peace and your rest in him. He's all I need. A lot of people shouldn't sing it. A whole lot of people don't have a right to sing that song. I said a whole lot of people don't have a right to sing that song. When you say, he's all I need, that's like Ezekiel 36, 20, you know. Everywhere they go, they talk right, but they live wrong. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. Is he? He should be because he brings the whole package. All things that pertain to life and godliness come to us through the knowledge of him. Everything that pertains to this life and godliness. Godliness, a word which means a right, true, vital relationship with Jesus. It all comes from him. This is what a converted life is. Repent and be converted, and these times of refreshing shall come. The Father will give you the promise, and the promise will open up a whole new life that you could never have known otherwise. And it makes all things new. You sing with gusto, I found a new way of living. I found a new life divine. And what's the rest of it say? I have the fruit of the Spirit. I'm abiding in the vine. That's his presence. That's his presence. Being aware of it, always having confidence he's here. He's in this room this morning. Jesus is. Did you know that? Where is he? He's wherever he wants to be. He's here. This is what makes the Christian life what it's supposed to be. He says, now you tarry, now that you're believers. Remember he said this, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear it. Jesus said, I have more things to say to you than what you've heard, but I can't say it now because you can't handle it. There is a knowledge you can gain, but you can't get it now. Howbeit when he, John 16, 12 and 13, he said, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, and he will take the things of Jesus and make them known or realized to you, and whoa, what a life that's lacking in so many people. How often people don't even know what I'm talking about. Been in church their whole life. It's never been anything but going to church, singing hymns, and going home. It makes no change in your life. But when the Holy Spirit comes, whew, you better buckle up. This is when you need a seatbelt because you're fixing to go on a real journey. And what a joy it is. The Lord in the midst of you rejoicing, getting together with the saints to proclaim and exalt the Lord, and he abides in that praise. His presence is there. Wow. <laughs> Where have we been all of our life that this was lacking? Well, there was a day came that he, he brought us out of that miry clay. Psalm 40, maybe set our feet up on a rock. He established our going. He baptized us with the Holy Ghost. Whew, put a new song in our mouth. Glory to God. God. And people thought we were nuts. What's happened to her? What's happened to him? He used to be such a nice heathen. <laughs> I can still remember a fellow I didn't like then. I don't know if I would now, but 
asking me once, he said, people are talking about you. I was holding my Bible. I said, well, praise the Lord. He said, see what I mean? <laughs> Why would anybody take note of you that you've been with the Lord? Why would people you're around or people you work with or people that know who you are, why would they know that you're a Christian? You don't have to walk outside waving a flag like one of the maidens of the Lord. You just be a Christian. Let your light shine before the world that others see and hear that you have been with the Lord. They watch you carefully. They even try to trip you up. They may say things about you to see if you'll laugh and say it's a funny joke, but it wasn't very nice. They want to see if you will partake of that. They'll do a lot of things. If you hang around them, you shouldn't, but if you hang around them, they'll test you. But there is something about Jesus. Now notice, who's this for? Verse 39, all over again. For the promise is unto you. I have seven children, 29 and a half grandchildren. And this promise is to all of them. Some of them don't know this yet. Either they're not old enough or they haven't been taught. But this is for them. The promise is unto you. It begins with you. And then from you, listen to me, you parent, from you to your children and all that are afar off from Israel would be Shelbyville, Kentucky. This is afar off. It was for us too, not only them, but it's for us. Even whom? Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. He even mentioned your children. I want all of that. I want all of that. I don't want to be moved by what I see. I don't want to be moved by what I hear. I want to be moved by his promise and not have my faith affected by my sight. The promise is unto you and your children. And those that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. What are we talking about here? The promise. What's the promise? The baptism in the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit. How do you know when he comes that he came? Well, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, they spoke in tongues. They were stammering lips. And they said, this is that which was spoken of by Joel the prophet, that in the last days I will pour out of my spirit. And in verse 33, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear, which in 1 Corinthians 14, this is what the law said, with stammering lips and another tongue. A language that people can't relate to. Doesn't have to be a known language, it can be whatever it wants to be. God doesn't have to have natural methods to be supernatural. We can do pretty supernatural things, though. You know that most Christians can work miracles because they can take a molehill and make a mountain out of it. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Acts 10. Just follow me in a brief journey through the book of Acts the question is, how do we know what's going on here? If this is a baptism in the Holy Spirit or tongues or the evidence, how can I know if I receive the Holy Spirit or this gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, in Acts chapter 10, this is the first outpouring of the Gentiles at the house of Cornelius. And in Acts chapter 10, in verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and none of them were hurt. 
while Peter spoke, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision, the Jews, which believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift, that's the promise, of the Holy Ghost, for, verse 46, they saw their joy and their exuberance and their deeper dedication to God. No, they heard them speak with tongues. They spoke in tongues. The one thing that the established church of this hour, amen, the big church, the growing church, they don't want anything to do. I heard one on the radio one morning, not far from here. We don't deny today that perhaps this happens somewhere in the world somewhere, but we don't want it here. Well, I wouldn't go there. What fellowship would light have with darkness? Oh, that's kind of tough. It, it isn't to me. I think some of the most misleading groups today are some of the fundamental churches. They deny all of this. They don't want any of this in there. No Holy Ghost, tongues, gifts. We don't want any of that. All that's passed away. Did God set these gifts in the church? Has the church passed away yet? Then they're still here. It's just like Pharisees. He said, you not only will not go in yourself, you have shut the door to others so that they can't go in either. Your proselytes who follow your way of thinking are going to be twice as much a child of hell as you are. Those are hard words. We're afraid to say it because everything's changing today in this lollipop age. Pooh. Acts 19. They spoke in tongues, and then they were baptized in water right after that. Acts 19 and verse 6. And it says, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, Is that all you people ever talk about? <laughs> they didn't say that, did they? They say that today. That's all you people ever talk about. Of course, we could turn back and say to them, that's the only thing you never talk about. But anyway, we'll leave it alone. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said to them, we haven't even heard of such a thing as a Holy Ghost. He said, what were you baptized into? He said, John's baptism. You know, there's a Savior coming. Get ready for him. Cleanse yourself. Okay. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son. No, it just says here they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon him, I guess that just naturally followed. When he laid his hands upon them, what did they do? They spoke in tongues. So speaking in tongues was just not an apostolic experience, was it? It was an experience that they said should follow repentance and conversion and receive the promise so that great meaning can come to your relationship to Jesus as the Holy Spirit amplifies and magnifies this whole thing. And the whole experience of all of that will be like a refreshing and a reviving in your life. Jesus becomes what he should be to you. He's not a bore. You don't mind listening to words about him. You don't have to dread going to church and sitting there. That's gone. Now the knowledge of the Lord becomes a valuable and a precious thing to you. 
Because they that are taught of the Lord will speak often to one another. In Malachi 3, and the Lord will listen, and a book of remembrance will be brought before him for those who fear the Lord. But they speak often to each other. They talk about the Lord. Hallelujah. I think you all know that in Mark 16 and 17, before Jesus went back to heaven so he could send the Holy Spirit, he said these words, these signs shall follow, shall follow those in the first church, in the primitive church, the first church. He said, these signs shall follow those who what? Who believe. First thing he said was they'll cast out devils. You have to hunt long and strong today to find somebody that believes that. Cast out devils. <laughs> Y'all do that. <laughs> we try. And second thing he said, they shall speak with new tongues. This is the Christian life. It comes with power. If you drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt you. And so on and so forth. They shall speak with new tongues. What is people's problem with speaking with new tongues? Do people who are against all of this realize the purpose of it in the first place? Not only was it a declaration from heaven that you have received the promise of the Father, but it also became a useful part of a powerful Christian life. Like he said in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, if I speak in a tongue, I speak not unto men, but unto God. In the spirit, I speak mysteries. I don't think the devil knows mysteries. I don't think the devil wants you to speak in tongues. There are multitudes of charismatics who had this experience once, they say. They haven't jabbered in tongues since. Or very seldom, maybe during a prayer, we pray for somebody. Goes, That's the only time they ever do it. Did you really get it? You can imitate it. You can act like it. Do y'all believe that you can imitate this? Of course you can. Of course you can. Just try to say what somebody else said. But when the real deal comes, it comes from the Lord. I've seen the real thing happen a number of times. I've seen things that didn't turn out to be real at all happen a lot. But when it happens... Boy, he said, you're speaking not unto men, but unto God. I'm not talking about a gift here. We're talking about a channel to God in which you can pray, and you never pray amiss. You never pray wrong. When the Holy Spirit begins to give forth utterance, and you yield to that, and you speak that way, you never pray wrong. Look at all the things you can pray about. We don't always know how to pray as we should. Romans 8 says, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us. How can you do that without the Spirit? Oh, I got the Holy Spirit when I believed. No, you didn't. Some have, I'm sure, but that's not the way it works. Philip went somewhere to preach a revival, didn't he? And they repented of their sins. They believed. There was joy but they had not received the Holy Ghost. When the disciples heard about it in Jerusalem in Acts 8, they sent Peter and John down to pray for them, for they had not yet received the Holy Ghost. Early church insisted, I mean, you got saved, you, you stick your head over here. They were going to pray for you. Because what kind of a life can you live without the Spirit? Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't handle it now. 
How be it, verse 12 of John 16, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Well, no wonder there's such a dullness in so many people's lives. There's no Holy Spirit. Just a little religion. That's a good thing. Outside of the fundamentals of the faith, and like he said in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, we must go on. But you can't go on without the Holy Spirit. God saw to it that those whom he called, he would give this to. Why do we speak in tongues? Well, we build ourselves up in Jude 20 on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. We build ourselves up, praying in the Holy Ghost. How does that work? It's something God does. A mortal mind can't explain all of this. You just do what he said. He does what he said it would do. Some people have faith. They seem to be able to walk in victory all the time. There are people you know you've never seen them sad. You've never seen them despondent. You've never seen them just weepy out all the time. We have moments, of course. But we also have a way over all that stuff and a way through all of that. Because something is supplied to us. God becomes greater than your problems and your money, than your family. He becomes bigger than all of that. And as you begin to view all these things that are facing you like some awful wall that's coming against you or some adversary that's coming against you, by the power of his Holy Spirit, God raises that flag and raises that standard up. And he leads us daily in his triumph. 2 Corinthians 2.14. That's what he does. 1 Corinthians 15.57. He says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory because you speak in tongues? No, victory because I believe. The tongues were just sufficient evidence to me to know that God has given me what he promised. And it is now my desire to kick in and cooperate and make my calling and election sure. So how do we get this? Those of you that have never been really filled with the Spirit, how do you get it? I go back to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. How do you get it? Peter said unto them, repent. That's number one. And be baptized. That's number two. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. Have you done it that way? Have you been baptized that way? For the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For he said, the promise is unto you and all of those that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, the promise is given to those, as Galatians 3 says, the promise of the Spirit is given to those who believe. It's for you. There are conditions that are attached to it. Repent, be baptized for the remission of sins, that sins may be blotted out. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you don't mind, would you turn to John 7 in closing? John 7. 7, and verse 38, let me preface John 7 with this one again in 
Galatians 3, 14, where he says that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, if you think you automatically get all of these things, you have probably misled yourself. The things that God offers to us, there might be an exception or two here, but the things that God offers to us are on the basis of faith. You must believe. Believing is what points you to God. You're not believing God when you just, you know, if he wants to, he can, it's all right. You're just living a life of, well, let's leave it up to God. If he wants to, he will. I like to have it. He wants me to have it. People say that. If he wants me to have it, he'll give it to me. Doesn't work like that. You have to want it. He shows you he gives it. Do you want it? Well, if you want it, you'll have to believe him for it. You have to ask then you have to believe that because you've asked, you have received. And that way Mark 11 said, what things ever you desire when you pray, believe you have received. There may not be any evidence yet, believe you have received and you shall have. Now I know this, when I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit or I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to speak in tongues. So I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to exercise my faith that far. There'd be some that says, well, I'm just going to wait until God does it all. Well, you do what you believe about that. But your faith has to be in play here some way. And John 7, verse 38 and 39. He that believeth on me, as the scripture says, out of his being shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Are we there so far? Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus say on the basis of believing he would grant this promise of the Holy Ghost? You can't just say, well, I believe, therefore I have it. No, it doesn't work like that. You got to believe this. You believe. You exercise your faith some way. And he said, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. This is the refreshing. This is that Oh, I don't want to overdo this, this bubbling up of the Holy Spirit, this continuous cleansing and never a stagnant pool, never a dull life. It's always active and alive. It's like a tree planted by rivers of living water. Your roots are in life. And there's always going to be a time of fruit bearing and a time of overcoming. And you can do all things through Christ. In Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is the author and the perfecter of your faith. And Christ will lead you and Christ will defend you and Christ will keep you. It's all Jesus. And you begin to rest in him. I cast all my cares upon him. I lay all of my burdens down at his feet, and any time I don't know what to do, I just cast all my... You could never do that until your eyes were open to see that you could. Jesus will take them. And you quit worrying about it. You could take no thought. Holy Spirit is delivering you from this sorrowful, sad, ugly, mad, angry life. There's never been a day, I don't think, in all of history that people are as mad and angry as they are today. People are living on the edge. 
They're just angry. One bad day and they want to shoot somebody. You've heard of road rage? You hear these stories all the time. Somebody cut in front of somebody and somebody wanted to shoot them. What's wrong with it? Well, they're without Christ. They have no revelation of Jesus Christ. The world lies in darkness. There's no cleansing and there's no life. That comes from the word that exalts Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. He was not yet given. Why does it say that? What's the end of verse 39 say? For he was not what? He was not yet glorified. When was he glorified? When he was resurrected. And when he was resurrected, what did he say? He has received from the Father. And he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. And the Holy Spirit who is with you shall be in you. And he shall be in you to put you over in life. To bring refreshing in your life. To bring peace and joy. I know things are difficult for a lot of people, but I would like to think you can't discern a spiritual man. For they always surrender their feelings to Jesus. I've seen in my time in this church, standing in this pulpit through the years, I've seen too many perennially sad people. Just sad. They just seem to have this blank. I just don't cope. Easily thrown off course. Easily overthrown. Not immovable and steadfast. Not really abounding in the work of the Lord as Paul wrote about. You say, why is it? They're not resting in the Lord. The Holy Spirit is a rest. He does your prayer, and if, if you yield to him and you believe as you pray, you pray always the right thing. Always. Never out of whack. Oh, praise God. Well, I'm going to close with this one. Luke 22. Repent and be converted that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I'm going to tell you something to all of you. If you've been refreshed and converted, you are able to minister. I don't mean in a pulpit. I mean you are able to be useful to the Lord in ministering to others, showing mercy, being cheerful, helping, doing, praying for. He said to Peter, Simon, behold, the devil by asking has obtained you. I think the Greek text says that. It says he has desired you. He by asking has obtained you that he might sift you as wheat. Verse 31 said, I have prayed for you that thy faith fail not. Notice next verse, 32. And when thou art baptized, when thou art a member of the church that Hamilton preaches at, you better say no. When thou art converted, when you've finally turned around and now you got it, it's in focus now. You see it and you won't turn back. What do you tell Peter to do? Strengthen his brothers. Do you suppose in Shelbyville Christian Assembly we would be a stronger, more unified group of believers if we did that? How about any church? Your visitor day, the one you go to. What if we were all converted and we were so desirous of esteeming others as better than ourselves and putting other people before yourself? 
and thinking of others before you think of yourself and encouraging other people and strengthening other people. Would it make the church strong? Hmm. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning for the word that makes us free, for the truth that comes from heaven. We ask you, Father, to deliver us from every weakness this morning. Deliver us from all the things that we have not surrendered unto Jesus and his lordship. Bring us into the reality of that rest to experience that refreshing and that breath of fresh air from heaven. Make us to live a life that is a testimony. I ask you to bless the ones that are sitting here before me this morning, the ones that have the greatest needs, as well as those who are furthest away from you right now. Those who cannot deny that I am not walking with the Lord, I have not lived the way I should, them. And I pray that as you did in Ezekiel, that you would visit these, that you would bring them into the valley of decision and there speak with them about their souls and open their eyes to see Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, the King, and invite them to be cleansed by his blood. I ask in the name of Jesus this morning that you would bring us all to the place where we're willing to wrestle with living right, where we have a desire to get things in order in our life. In this late hour, that we might prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. Help us to do that and to live unoffensive before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Bless you, Jesus. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure Thank you.
Barabaro Bromos. Ele Ramondo. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah.